And we are continuing our journey through Romans. We are diving into Romans chapter 5 this morning. And uh, I hope you've been able to follow along thus far. If you weren't able to be with us in person, uh, my prayer is that you are um, being faithful uh, online and through our recordings and streams that we are doing um, to help meet any uh, needs in that area as far as not being able to attend uh, church service. Either way, I hope you're blessed and uh, ready to uh, hear God's Word and the message that He has for us. Um, we are looking at Romans 5, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and um, this is a, uh, I guess I should say from this, not from this point on, but this chapter and even going into chapter 6 are, there's just filled with so much, um, not only good things, but practical things and things that are a blessing to me, just be able to even study, let alone preach on, and I hope you are blessed by it as well. Um, we have gone through uh, all of chapter 4. I know we took up a big section. We'll review that um, in, a, in a couple of minutes, but one of the things that I want us to process is this question. Um, how, how do you act in hard times? Hard times. Now, this can have a different variant. And what do I mean by that? It can be um, uh, someone cuts you off in traffic, right? Or someone says something not so nice about you, or you're having a stressful day at work, or you're having stressful um, uh, time at school, uh, just because of the season, or a tragedy happens. Uh, it could be a loss of life, loss of job, um, family conflict, whatever it may be. There's different variants of this. But in a general setting, all those variants included, how do you respond to hard times? How do you act in hard times? I think it's safe to say that we all deal with conflict, we all deal with stress, we all deal with hard times, we all deal with bad news, we all deal with tough times differently. We may have some overlapping um, areas when it comes to how we respond, how we act, how we receive these things, um, but how do you personally respond act, process when these things happen. Now, I know for me, it's, um, it seems like the little things I respond or act more out of uh, emotion. I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but it's something small, so I don't give it much thought process. So typically, because I don't give it much thought, right, I don't give it much effort, so to speak, I respond emotionally, okay? So like if someone cuts me off in traffic, emotionally it triggers, you know, either anger or frustration or just um, doubt in the um, intellect of human society, right? Or whatever it may be, um, it triggers an emotion. And so then instead of, instead of giving that effort and thought process, right? Whatever it may be to, to deal with that in a more healthy way, I allow my emotions to just act or respond. Um, and so in the small things, I seem to fall, I don't want to, to fall victim to that would be a wrong 
term, a wrong way to approach it, right? We're not a victim to that. We have a choice, right? But uh, that I uh, fall into that category, so to speak, as to, okay, um, the smaller things I respond emotionally as opposed to really dealing with it, processing it, giving it effort, and responding in a healthy way. I think that's why God uh, put Diane in my life, and when I'm driving and and I get upset about one of those things, and she will, uh, you know, it depends on the, the variance, right? And so sometimes it's just a subtle a hand on, on my leg, and, and I know what that means, okay? As a husband, uh, we've been together 25 years. I know what that means. Or she'll verbally say something, and when she verbally says something, okay, that's like, you know, that's like getting middle-named, right? When mom and dad use their middle name, um, Diane only uses my middle name if it's in a public area with other people around and she uh, really wants to get my attention. Um, I know the guys make fun of me when that happens, but there's different variants, right? Different variations of the, these things. And so how do you respond in hard times? Now, when it comes to something much more heavy, uh, more difficult, more hard, um, to deal with, um, I, I think my initial response is an overwhelming emotion, but um, I tend to, to slow that down and, and keep that in and then begin to process it from um, a more biblical perspective. And this is just a little uh, insight into how I deal with some things. Now, don't get me wrong, I am not perfect in this area by any means, um, especially these verses here, one through five, um, this and some of the, uh, if not all of the uh, verses that we're going to look at as supporting to this passage are very convicting to me and something, some of these verses I keep very close in my heart and I actually repeat to myself, um, whether it's in certain situations or times or throughout my day. Um, they are very close to my heart and my mouth. Um, but one of the things that I want us all to really process is to be honest with ourselves and process that how do we act, how do we respond in these different times? How do we act? How do we respond? Before we go any further, let me pray and we will get into our time in chapter 5. Lord God, thank you for all you've given us. Uh, Lord, may you continue um, to just be forever present in our lives. May you continue to show us your will, your desire, not only through the scriptures, but through the leading and guiding and conviction by the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, bless us during this time. May you pierce our hearts. May you convict us. May you show us your will and how, how we need to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you remember, we went through a large section in Romans chapter 4, concluding Romans chapter 4, and ultimately 
Paul continuing to show what true justification is, what it means. It's not justification plus anything else, okay? And essentially, we can take that justification, it's what Jesus did on the cross, right? The salvation. It's not salvation in and through Jesus Christ plus anything else. And the Jewish people and the people in Rome at this time needed to hear this over and over and over again. And it, 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 in a sense, at first look, we can say, okay, we see how this is repetitive, right? Paul's just saying the same thing at first glance. But as we dive into it, we can see, going all the way back to chapter 1, all the way through chapter 4, we can see, okay, he's hitting a different area. It's the same general main point, all pointing the same, to the same thing, to the same direction, but he's hitting different areas of the same issue. And it's something that he needed to make abundantly clear that justification is through faith and faith alone. It's not justification plus anything else. And so as that is made abundantly clear, Paul then begins the transition into what we see here in chapter 5. Now I'll make that a little more clear as we, we dive into verse 1 or um, as we approach verse 1, but um, if you haven't already, turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and I'm going to read our text for us this morning. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. So we see in the very beginning, the very first word, right, of, of Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, okay? Now, we can, we already know, right, I think I have conditioned you enough to think when you see the word therefore, we need to ask why is it therefore, right, and go back. But Paul, being Paul, he even puts the following statement, right, in verse 1 that pretty much tells us why therefore is therefore, okay? Because now we know, okay, there's no more doubt, no more, there's no argument that you can put forward that I have not already addressed in the first four chapters of Romans that you could say justification is not standing alone through faith. It has to be something else. He says, no, now we know that justification only comes through faith. So after clearly explaining this and defending the foundation of justification and that it only comes by faith and by the grace of God and nothing else, you cannot earn it, Paul moves forward by showing us um, basically the benefits of justification. Paul begins here uh, in verse 1 uh, with a number of blessings that come from true salvation that come from true salvation. These blessings flow 
to the believer through Christ and through Christ alone. Now, we're going to make that abundantly clear as we go through our time, just so we don't get confused. Not that we would, but just in case. Everything goes through and comes through Christ, okay? Everything goes through and comes through Christ, all right? Now, if you believe a different um, religion, you have a different belief, right? There's a lot of false beliefs out there. Typically, it goes through a person, okay? All this goes through a person, not not in and through Jesus Christ and in and through Jesus Christ only, okay? Even Roman Catholicism, a priest essentially is a gatekeeper between you and God. You cannot get to the Father unless you go through the priest, okay? Yes, they say Jesus Christ and all these different things, but there's added all these other things, and that's why you have to approach a priest, what? Repentance, okay? Last rites, to be married, right? Communion, all these different things. And essentially, um, as if you really look into it and you look at the word priest, they're a gatekeeper to these holy things. They're essentially a gatekeeper, okay? They can say whether or not you get married. They can say whether or not you can get baptized. They can say whether or not you take communion. They can say whether or not your repentance is acceptable, all these different things. There's always, in all these other beliefs, there's always something else you have to do. They think that you just can't go in and through Christ. There must be something man-made there and present. And to be honest, it's nothing different than what we see with the Jewish people here, with the Pharisees and scribes. So with that being said, we must understand everything goes through Christ and comes through Christ. The first benefit that we see at salvation, and we see here in verse 1, let me read it, then I'll get back to my point, is this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Paul makes it very clear, we have peace with God, right? And then, and then he confirms my previous statement, through our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So we have peace first benefit at salvation is peace with God. And remember, everything is through Jesus Christ, right? And comes from Jesus Christ. Now, what is he getting at with this peace? Well, we have to understand the wages of war are in us prior to salvation. And what is that war? War of sin. Sin is waging war in us against the things of God, right? The war is, o- is over through the work of Christ. All causes of enmity between our souls and good, so to speak, good in the eyes of God, have been removed. So we have to remember that we can do nothing apart from Christ that is good. We can do nothing good apart from Christ. Why? Because we belong to sin. We are slaves to sin. We are slaves to this world. We are slaves to the ruler of this world, who is what? Satan. So because of that, there is a a war waging on, essentially, good versus evil, right? Versus light and darkness, right? Of what God is doing, righteousness, sin. Now, 
at the moment of salvation, we gain that blessing of peace with God. And why is that? Because that our sins have been paid for. They've been bought the price, right? So as, as I stated a moment ago, we have been changed from enemy to friend. And how is that? Through the miracle of grace. Undeserved favor. See, this is one of the areas that we as human beings, as mankind, we continue to struggle with. We, it, it's hard for us to understand that we can get something of this magnitude for free. We have to do something for it. I have to be good. I have to do good things. I have to give. I have to do this. I have to do that. We have to do all these things so then I can be in a right standing with God. And to be honest, we have this in our mind, this scale. As long as I do more good than evil, I'll tip the scales in my direction, in my favor, and I can enter into the kingdom. It's interesting because I, um, when I worked uh, as a correctional officer and as a recreational officer in the um, um, penitentiary system, the federal penitentiary system, I actually uh, was going through school at the time um, as I was working there, and I began to see, okay, God has put me in this place for a reason, and I have access to all these different religions. And I began to seek out religious leaders, which were prisoners, and I began to have conversations with them. All kinds of different beliefs, from Wicca to Rastafarian to Mormons to Muslims to Catholics. Um, and I can remember this one inmate in particular, and, and he would always talk about um, righteous things and godly things, but he would always be doing non-righteous things and non-godly things as an inmate. So I, one time I challenged him, and I said, what, what justification do you have in doing these things? He's like, oh, He's like, well, you have to understand that I invited Billy to church, and since I invited Billy to church, he then converted to the faith, and then he became a priest. See, he was Roman Catholic, and he believed that the good deeds of Billy, he got a percentage of those good deeds. And I was like, wow, that sounds like a pyramid scheme. I get 10 people, and those 10 people get 10 people, and those 10 people get 10 people, and I, all get, I get all these little bits of percentages of their good deeds. And I'm, and I'm looking at him, I'm like, it doesn't work that way. He goes, oh, yeah, it does. He's like, because of how much good they're doing, I can do what I want. And this was his mentality. This was his mindset. And it, and it really blew me away. I mean, I, I've studied and I've read these things, but until you actually have conversations with people that take a form of what these teachings are and apply them to their lives and the way they see fit and how they justify righteousness in their own lives, it, 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 you, it's, it's really hard to comprehend. And so we must see in and through this that it's just G in and through Jesus Christ alone, this is what it is and all it is. It is nothing else. It has to be this way. Because basically, we must see that the peace that we receive in and through our salvation is the peace of the battle waging against sin. So there's no longer this enmity. There's no longer this 
I'm an enemy before God. And yes, those that are lost ultimately are enemies before God. They are not friends of God. And this is why uh, I'm not an advocate of people just randomly walking around saying, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. It's like, does he? Like, how are they living their lives, right? Are they enemies of God, right? Well, if Jesus loves them and they're not chosen and their eternity is hell and not heaven, well, is that the kind of love that we are speaking of? So we have to have a true understanding of Scripture, not that we go around saying weird things to scare people away, essentially, or to confuse people, but that in our own hearts and our own minds, we understand the Scripture and the way that it's meant to be understood, so therefore we don't present a false hope to others, and we present the true gospel. We'll get, more to, we'll get into this a little bit more as we move on, but basically we must understand and truly see, which I, I believe we have a good grasp and understanding up to this point, is those who have placed their trust in Christ can rest assured that their faith has been credited to them as righteous, right? As righteous. Remember Abraham? We looked at that. Now it's credited righteous on the fact of what? That Christ was put to death for their sins, and raised again. Ultimately, what? Conquering sin, conquering death, okay? To have peace with God means to be in a relationship with God in which all hostility has ceased. Now, as we continue to move through this message, you're going to see why it's so important on when I say, okay, oh, so Billy accepted Jesus, and my response is, okay, let's see. Let's see. Justification, right, should ultimately take away the guilt and sin and make way for peace. Okay? This is salvation. This is justification. This is what Christ did on the cross. Now, I know a lot of us might be like, well, I still feel guilty, okay? I understand that, but it's not a guilt in a sense of being damned, right, for eternity, okay? A lot of times our guilt is, wow, I'm a Christian now, and as I'm reading Scripture and as I'm going through God's Word, I'm beginning to see all the things that I did wrong. And Satan loves to use that and twist that up within us by saying, oh, look, you're not worthy. Look how guilty you are. But what Jesus says is, no, you are now seeing what was in the darkness because I'm shedding light on that. And because of that, now you truly begin to comprehend and see how much you've been forgiven. You see the grace there. We see the undeserved favor. And it should turn our guilt into peace. And as we will see, into joy. Ultimately, with the understanding that there is no longer a battle, right? It's Christ, peace. Why? Because we now have salvation. Yes, we did a lot of things wrong. 
but now we see how much we've truly been forgiven and we did nothing for it. One of the things we have to reconcile is are we saying I'm a Christian but I keep waging war against God by living a sinful life, by turning my back on God, by going against Scripture and doing this habitually, and habitually I mean on purpose. I know I shouldn't do that, but I'm just going to keep doing it. I don't care. That's not struggling. Struggling is, man, I know I shouldn't do that, but I keep on doing it, but I know I shouldn't, and I don't want to, but I, I keep falling into that. Why? Why? And your struggle is a fight, okay? I always think of struggle as like a tug of war, and you're really putting in your, your efforts, okay? In the Army, I had some really interesting tug of war matches, and, and uh, MWR, Morale and Warfare for Soldiers, especially when I was deployed, that had put on little events to help raise the morale of soldiers. And um, the infantry unit I was in, we would always end up against, uh, when we were deployed in Bosnia, we would always end up against these CBs. And if you know what the CBs are, these are the construction guys for the Navy, okay? Like, we, we would always say they have no regulations as far as height and weight when it comes to construction workers, these guys were huge, tall, wide, you name it, they were big. And we would always enter into the final tug-of-war match with these guys, and we would lose. Um, they would always put an anchor, and we would do the same thing. At the end of the rope, we'd have our anchor. And it's the biggest guy we could find. That was not me. Um, I was about half this size when I was in the military, okay, just so you know. And it was the biggest guy we could find. We'd wrap the rope around his waist, and he would have gloves on. And when they would say go, he would claw and dig and claw and dig. And their guy's doing the same thing. And everybody behind him is pulling. And it was this just ultimate battle of these, you know, huge men pulling back and forth, right? That, to me, that's the image I have when it comes to struggle, Okay? We should have a struggle when it comes to right, sin, when it comes to our hang-ups, when it comes to, to things that we, we struggle with, that, that, that there's sin in our lives that we're still dealing with, and it, it, we're fighting against it. And sometimes we win, we gain some, and then sometimes we lose some. Sometimes we gain some, sometimes we lose some, but we never give up. One of the great passages you can go look at is the doo-doo passage by Paul. I call it the doo-doo passage. Why do I do the things that I know I'm not supposed to do, but I keep on doing them? And Paul had his struggle as well. We all have struggles. The thing is, is are we at war against God or is it just a struggle? The war is, it's not a struggle. We like the sin. We know it's a sin. We know it's wrong. I'm trying to justify it right? Just like that inmate I told you about, ah, I can do all these things because, you know what, these people are doing good things over there, so that's going to offset my bad. It's not how it is. It's not how it works. Justification takes away guilt and sin and makes way 
for peace. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Okay? Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By what? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, right? Now, why do we have these commandments? Why do we have these laws? It doesn't mean we, we don't have to um, subject ourselves to them or, or live by them, but essentially it's to expose sin, right? Remember that? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, killing it. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. We see the purpose of Christ within this. Just these few verses here. And we can go and we can go back and study and look at Ephesians 2 as a whole and even going into chapter 3. But understanding this, Jesus' purpose, dying on the cross, right, to redeem you, to be the redemptive power, to justify you, making you what? Righteous, what is all salvation, okay, is to kill that hostility, to bring peace to make you a new man, to make you a new person. We're going to see more of that as uh, we push forward in our, our uh, passage this morning. But ultimately, seeing that peace should be within you. Now, I know some of us might be like, I, I just don't feel very peaceful sometimes, Pastor Raph. I, I'm right there with you. But it's peace with who? with God. So God's saying, look, you now have peace with me. Embrace that peace and have peace within yourself. Let me show you how that's done. Let me show you these blessings, right? And this is where Paul takes us next. Verse 2, Romans chapter 5. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So there's more stuff, okay? The next blessing is that we enter into an indescribable position of favor with God. We now have his favor. We are now accepted and beloved, right? We are as near and dear to God as his own son. Now, we are not the same as Jesus. By no means doesn't mean that, but God loves us that much. That's how much God loves us now. Because he, Jesus came and paid the price to remove that enmity, that fracture, that sin, that blot, so to speak, 
And now God's, God the Father sees us through Christ the Son, and He sees us as sons and daughters now, embracing us just as He embraces and loves His own Son. We are now accepted the same way. We are no longer strangers to the Father. This grace, this favor, and it embraces every aspect of our position with God, a position that is perfect and permanent, okay, in and through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Let me say that again. We are now in a position with God, this grace, this favor, okay, it is, this position is perfect and permanent, in and through Christ Jesus. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Starting in verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He doesn't stop there. He shows us how we need to stand, but here in this section, it's, an un, it's a reminder in a sense that we have been bought with the price by the blood of Christ, right? We have been cleansed, and therefore, since we've been cleansed, we need to live a life honoring and reflecting of Christ, okay? And it's interesting because he mentions a couple of things here, and the reason why he mentions, and mentions these because these are areas that are being neglected, right? Okay? First, he says, um, we need to, um, we need to, where is that? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, right? Or spur each other on to good works. Okay, so we see that, okay, the, people aren't serving. People aren't taking care of each other like they should. Remember what Christ did? Here's, here's a remember. Remember this? Remember what happened? Okay. We must have forgotten because we're not taking care of each other. We're not encouraging one another. We're not 
um, we're not serving, we're not encouraging others to serve, right? I, I like the, the, the spur on, okay? Um, if you ever ridden a horse, uh, especially a stubborn horse, right? Um, he, a lot of horses, you, you give them the heel, you kick them a little bit, and you can guide them and direct them in different things. You ever been on a stubborn horse and you try to do that? You go from one foot to two feet, and then what the, you know, usually they tell you, say, drive your heels in, okay, because you're not wearing spurs, all right? Spurs are very sensitive there on the side of the horse. You, if you're wearing spurs, you wouldn't have to do it as hard, but usually you're just wearing boots, and you really have to drive your heels into the horse to get it to respond, okay? Ultimately, it's make them uncomfortable, right? Make them uncomfortable because they should be uncomfortable, not serving, not encouraging, not loving. Make them uncomfortable so they do these things. See, this is an area in this section in Hebrews that we could really learn a lot from right now. Very, very practical. Why? Because we're great at going about our own business, getting into our pattern, into our rut. You know, on Sunday we do this, on Monday we do that, on Tuesday we do this, on Wednesday we do that, and we have our routines, right? Going all the way back, okay, to the beginning of the message, and they said, what do you do when, when you're having a bad day? What's well, a hard time, Right? And a lot of times, a bad day to us is someone inconvenience us. I have my routine. Someone broke my routine. I don't like that. How do we respond? Emotion. Guess what? Christians should be making other Christians uncomfortable, spurring them on to do good works, good deeds, and encourage one another, and what? To not neglect in meeting together. Wow. Well, Pastor Raph, I don't really need to go to church because... You know, there's this scary virus out there, and you know what? Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to downplay COVID and all that, but during times like this, a common cold killed people, okay? And if, if you're worried about it, I understand. Pray about it, okay? Take the precautions you need to take. I'm not advising against any of that, but what I am saying is we should not neglect to meet. Should not. The convenience of us broadcasting services into people's homes have made the church lazy. There's no spurring going on. The convenience of rolling out of bed or watching a sermon in bed or not even waking up on Sunday morning to worship our Lord and Savior has been pushed out the door by so many. One of the things that we need to see, especially as we begin to journey even deeper into this passage, that when times get tough, we don't get weak. We need to spur each other on. We need to encourage. We need to, to push each other so ultimately we can what? Honor the church. Look religious. No. Worship God. Serve God. Why? Wow, look at how much he's done for me. Because we love him. So as we see in verse 2, this grace, this 
this glory, right? We should rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, right? And we should stand in this. We should not back down. We should not shrink down. We should not fade away. We should also rejoice in this hope of the glory of God that he's given to us. We are to be joyful. We are to look forward to the time when we will gaze on the splendor of God, but we will be in glory as well. It's the promise and the hope that we have that someday we will be in glory with him. Now, one of the things that we have to understand in the word hope that's used here in verse 2 is not, is not defined essentially um, the same way we, we look at hope today. Today, it's like, well, I hope this happens, right? And it's like, a, oh, it's a 50-50 chance, or it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a want. It's like, okay, well, it may or may not happen, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the Greek word of hope and so forth later, but one of the things that we need to understand how it's used here and in this passage is hope is a certain thing. When we see hope in Scripture, specifically in the New Testament, the hope means it's a fact. It's for certain. It's going to happen. It is not something that may or may not happen. It is a certainty. It is known. It is a fact that believers... Ultimately, their destiny is what? Is to share glory with God. We will be in glory with Him. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I, I hope... I changed this passages a couple different times. Um, I hope 2 Thessalonians is is a, a, le- a little easier to understand here in this context, um, but bear with me. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our by their, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And so hopefully we can see how we can hold fast to the truth. We can hold to the understanding that our destiny, that our, our, our end is glorification. You are saved by the gospel. You are sanctified through the faith, ultimately knowing that you will someday be standing in heaven, in glory, in the presence. We cannot, to be honest, we cannot fully comprehend the significance of that hope here on earth, nor will we get over the wonder of it in our eternity. Now, I know we can, we can go to Revelations and we can kind of see um, and see what it may look like, well, how it may appear to us, um, but ultimately, it, we can never fully comprehend heaven 
being in glory with God until that day comes. And it's something that uh, I don't think any, uh, any of our understanding, let alone our imagination, could ever come close to what that truly is and will be. Let's continue on in, in, in our passage. And we, so we, we've gone through this grace and understanding and that we are to stand in this, we are to rejoice in this, in this hope. It's a for sure thing of the glory of God, of our assurance of where we are going to be when that time comes. Verse 3, more than, more than that, so even more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Wow. Do you see the word usage here? Okay. So verse 2, right? We have to rejoice, stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Wow. That's amazing. We just looked at that. Verse 3, now more than that, so more than that rejoicing, okay, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. The fourth blessing mentioned here by Paul from justification is that we rejoice in our sufferings. Paul just doesn't leave us with that. He gives us an explanation. Um, but first, we must begin to see as Christians that joy can coexist with affliction. Joy can coexist with long-suffering. Joy can exist with a bad day. Joy can exist with a tragedy. We have to see, uh, if we, and maybe we see it, but we have a hard time embracing it or applying it, um, that the believer's joy is not simply something we hope to experience, in the future. Um, some of us feel that as like, man, I, I try to have joy, uh, but it's hard. Or I have joy, but it's easily taken away from me. Or uh, I have joy, but it's only like when it's things pleasing to me. This joy and suffering, like I, 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 don't, I don't grasp that. It's hard for me to really have joy in my suffering. Maybe when it's over, and I have joy because it's over, right? But in my suffering, we have to understand that it's a present reality, even in times of our trials, our distress, um, persecution. Our joy should not be based on our circumstance or our emotions, our joy should solely be based on our salvation, our justification. And it's hard. It is hard. There has been times where, where my wife or Diane has even said, well, Raph, your, your joy should be in your salvation. I go, I know. I'm just not happy right now. Well, you can find joy. It's like, no, I can't. And I'm like, shut down like it it's bad okay is a bad day or the situation is bad and my attitude stinks just as much you know but she's right 
It, it, it shouldn't be that way. The scripture tells us it shouldn't be that way. Well, I don't care. That person, well, I don't care. This situation. You think God doesn't know that? He's like, but look what I've given you. You can't find joy in that. Turn me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. A lot of us know James chapter 1, are familiar with James chapter 1. This is one of the, the uh, verses that I, is always popping up in my heart, um, popping up in my mind. James chapter 1, starting verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And I'm like, James, are you serious? All joy? Uh, It's so hard to to comprehend, right? Where someone's like, oh, it's not hard to comprehend. We're, We're understanding, right. But when I say it's hard to comprehend, that means if I comprehend it, that means I'm applying it to my life. That means I'm living it out, right? Verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And we're going to look at that more uh, as we move forward and we see some of this, but... James makes it abundantly clear, right? There's, there's no skirting around it. There's no, you know, gray area, right? Count it all joy. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. It's crazy, right? So we go back to Romans chapter 5, and we look at this as more than that, in verse 3, more than that, we rejoice. So we are to rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. It's like, okay, so I need to have joy in trials and tribulations and in sufferings. Okay, um, and we might be asking, why? Why do they have joy? Well, it's because of endurance, Right? In James, it tells us the same thing. But I'm gonna, we're going to look at that word endurance. It should be up here on the board for you. Um, so in the Greek, it's huponomi, hupomane, okay? Huponome, it's to preserve, to endure under difficulties, the ability to withstand, Okay? Now, if our joy should be in Christ and we go through trials and tribulations and sufferings and we are to have joy, so it builds up endurance and this endurance, right, um, or this perseverance to, to persevere, right, to, 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 uh, uh, to endure under difficulties, the ability to withstand these things is speaking of our faith, our justification, our salvation, right? Christian suffering is a source, 
It's hard for us to, to, to hear this. Christian suffering is a source of joy. It should be. Now, two extremes to this. One is, I can't comprehend that. I can't live that out. I can never be joyful in suffering or trials or these things. It's not going to happen. Versus, oh, so if Christian suffering is a source of joy, I'm going to go out and make sure I'm persecuted. I'm going to go out and make sure I'm going through bad things, right? Because for some reason in my mind, I believe that I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to have more joy. I'm going to have more favor with God. That's not how it works. Ultimately is when those things come along as we live our life as believers and they happen, we are to what? Point to Christ, remember our salvation, remember the grace we received, right? And our joy should be in those things, not in the circumstance. Not in the circumstance. Ultimately, having the understanding that God, His purpose is to build up endurance, perseverance within us. Why? Well, think about it. How could we ever learn how to persevere, how to endure, if we never have any problems? It doesn't make sense. So we begin to see here in verse 3, Paul's transition in the purpose of these trials and tribulations. It's like, look, understand God is shaping and molding you to be the Christian he desires for you to be. Okay? What does the scriptures tell us? It's like a father disciplining a child. As God disciplines us, he, we see his love for us, right? It's the same thing. I discipline my children because my love for them, my desire for them is to be the best that they can be. But as a believer, right, is so they can be, right, the best godly young man or young woman that they can be. See, God does the same thing. Yeah, we might not understand why we're going through something while we're going through it, but what does God tell us? What does Paul tell us here? The hope, the assured thing is that God's using it ultimately for your benefit. So have joy in that. There are times I'm going through stuff and I just have a bad attitude and then I step back and I pray and I'm like, okay, God, what are you teaching me? I've even been asked that question. Well, what, what is God teaching you through this? Or what did God teach you through this? And sometimes my answer is like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I'm not paying attention to the burning bush or the hungry whale, right? Whatever message God's trying to bring me, you know, God, give me a talking donkey. I don't care. What is it, right? And sometimes we're having a hard time figuring it out. Trust me, there's all, those are all Bible references. You can go try to find them out later, okay? But the reason being is this. We might not know. We might not even know once we come out the other end. We might have to go down the path that God has for us a little bit further for us to say, oh, 
now I understand. Those of us that are older, a lot of times we have those same aha moments from things that our parents have taught us, right? To where it's like, man, I don't understand, you know, that's dumb, right? Why would mom or dad have me do that? And then now I'm older and I have children, I'm like, okay, I'm the dumb one. Now I see the purpose behind that, right? And God is in the same way. He, he, this is all the sanctification process, right? But it, it, it's, it's more than that. We're going to see that. Why? Because the endurance, right? This, this, this um, to, to preserve the ability to, to, to withstand, to endure under difficulties, okay? God tests us. He tests us. We're going to see why. But one of the things that I want to, to, to ask here from when we first started is, how do you view your sufferings? How do you view your sufferings? How do you view your trials? How do you view your bad days? Do you view them as God working on you? Or is it just bad luck, right? Don't get me wrong. Sometimes we have bad days because we make bad choices right? And there are times that I'm going through a bad day and I'm getting upset and then I stop. It's like, you know what? I made a bad choice. I cannot be upset at the consequences of my choice, of my decisions. I need to bear that. I need to go through that. And I cannot complain and I cannot be upset because it is my own affliction, essentially, right? But what is God teaching me through that? What guides you through your sufferings, your trials, your bad days? What guides you? Your emotions or your joy in Christ? A lot of times what we love to do is this. Something bad happens, we get all emotional, and then we pray. And then it's like, well, because I prayed, I sanctified my emotions. Therefore, I can then act on my emotions and it's, you know, godly. And we have this understanding, right? We do that with all kinds of things. We, we love to sanctify things that have nothing to do with God. As opposed to, okay, God, what do you truly ha- desire for me to do? Have joy. Okay, I need to have joy. Well, I don't feel good about that. God says, I don't care. Be joyful. Doesn't mean we approve something bad happening. Doesn't mean we, we endorse it. God just says, have joy. Doesn't matter how bad it can be. We can still find joy in everything. Doesn't mean we need to be a happy cheerleader with rainbows and unicorns, Okay. Not at all. But where is our joy? Don't allow things to steal your joy. Don't allow stuff to steal your joy. Don't allow people to steal your joy. Have joy in your salvation. Verse 4, Romans chapter 5 continues on, right? So we go from in, 
um, that knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Okay, verse 4, and endurance produces character. Okay, and then and character produces hope. Okay, so he, he gets into hope before he addresses it in, in 5, but we, un, we see this transition, right? Okay, one's going to produce this and one's going to produce that. Well, why? Why? Paul explains that endurance builds up character. Character, dokime, okay, dokime, the distinctive quality. Um, dokime, character, it's uh, something that's approved. It's been tried. It's a proof of genuineness. It is trustworthiness, right? Character, someone that has good character, someone could be counted on, relied upon, right? Their yes is their yes and their no is their no. When God sees us bearing up under our trial and looking to Him to work out His purpose through them, okay? So do we see that? When God sees us bearing, right? Bearing up under, what is that? We just defined it, the previous word, okay? Bearing up under, enduring, okay? Our trials, our tribulations, our bad days, whatever you want to call them. So we're bearing them, and then what? We look to Him to work out His purpose. Okay, God, what is your purpose? We're looking to Him. We're bearing them, and we're looking to Him. He rewards us and are seen as tested and approved. Why is that? This is key right here. The statement that I just made is key to this endurance and then now character and is going to push us to hope. Hope is a for sure thing. Remember that? So he, he's watching us, right? How are we going to respond? Are we going to bear up under? Are we going to endure and look to him? What are we going to do? There's a passage, there's a teaching, there's a parable in Scripture that I hope is coming to mind. And I'll reference it at the end of the message. I'm going to give it as homework, okay? But I hope it's already starting to float to the top of your mind, to your thinking. The reason why God sees us as tested and approved when we go through these things, he's seeing where our faith lies. Now let's go back to the previous teaching. Okay? Abraham, or Abram, will you go? Yes, I'll go. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to you and I'll go. Okay. When was he tested? Take your son. Sacrifice him. It was counted to him righteous. It was counted to him righteous. And it was proved he was faithful, right? When the pressure is put on you, where is your faith? Do you run? Do you hide? Do we go and try to Google something? What did Oprah or Dr. Phil say about it? How do we respond? How do we respond? 
when God sees us bearing up under our trials and looking to Him to work out His purpose, right? Looking to God to work it out, His purpose through these trials, He rewards us and we are seen as tested and approved. This fills us with hope. What fills us with hope? When we're met with the trial and we endure, we persevere, we stand up, right? Okay? And we look to Him. Okay, God, what am I to do in this? How am I, what are you teaching me through this? How do I get through it? So many of us, we have problems, we have sin, we have issues. There are things that are coming our way, and what do we love to do? Out of sight, out of mind. If you're not there, I can't see you, I can't, you can't see me. We hide from it. Very passive. We don't like conflict. We don't like dealing with stuff. Or some of us, we love conflict. We love dealing with stuff, but it's how we want to. And we revert back to what? Our emotion, not how God would want us to deal with it. What parable am I alluding to? So we have to understand that this salvation, that this endurance is to build up that character. And either we're going to have that character of Christ or we are not. Either we're going to be tested and approved, or we are not. See, the thing is, is ultimately leads to this hope. Remember, hope is this for sure thing. We'll get to that more in a moment, but we need to understand truly what Paul is saying here and what is being built up within in us and what it should produce endurance produces character it should produce this don't get me wrong there's all kinds of people out there that have a bad day or have trials or have this and that and they make it through it but they are not building up endurance in Christ they're relying on they're building up self and I have to check myself constantly, okay? Especially men. Men are fixers. By nature, how God made us, we are fixers, right? There's a problem, we want to fix it, okay? If you're a man and you don't have that, I don't know, pray about it, okay? I'm joking. But typically, men are fixers, okay? We want to fix things. And so as a man, I, I, I always want to fix something, okay? And it causes strife in my marriage. Why is that? Because sometimes women don't want anything fixed, okay? Here's a little side note for all the guys out there. Just listen. And there's times I'm like, do you want me to listen or you want me to help? So I just listen. I'm like, okay, right? I get into my analytical learning Side, I have to like click that on because that's not my learning style, right? I have to, okay, listen and regurgitate information when asked, right? Okay, just like in a classroom. Okay, I'm not, and I have to restrain myself. Uh, wait, I can't say anything. 
you know. And in our spiritual walk, we want to do the same thing. We have the problem, okay, what do I resort to? What do I know? A lot of times, man, I don't know, and we freak out, right? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? We get anxiety, we get stress, we get worry, we get all these things. What do I do? What do I do? What do I, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Right? It's the same thing. I know what to do. Bible sitting over here. Oh, I can do it. I can take care of it. We have to understand this character, this endurance. We do it God's way, right? That's why it says looking to Him, holding up under and looking to Him, right? Therefore, then we receive the blessings and we are what? Looked upon as tested and approved. Ah, when the times get hard, what do you do? I, look, I, I endure and I look to God. I endure and I look to God. Ah, okay. Good. Tested and approved. That's part of the sanctification process. But if I don't endure and look to Him, then was I ever really justified? You see where that's going? Then what's going on? I need to take a step back. I need to ask those questions. Is it a struggle or is it a war? Know the difference. So this, this enduring, this endurance, this persevering produces the character, and we see what that character is, right? We need to have that godly character, okay? Some of us have character flaws, and, and those are some of the things we need to struggle with, right? And to allow the sanctification process to weed those character flaws out, okay? Now, as we continue on, we see that hope, right? And endurance produces, okay, character, and character produces hope, okay? We're going to look at that in a moment, but understand ultimately as this endurance produces character and character shoots us off to hope this hope is so that we know that is working in our lives he's developing our character and ultimately giving us confidence that he is seeing the good work he started within us to completion right philippians chapter 1 verse 6 okay i'm just going to reference it we're not going to turn there for time's sake, okay? But ultimately understanding that that's the direction that Paul is going. And as believers, we should receive that as, oh, God's going to never leave me nor forsake me. God's going to never leave me nor forsake me. He's going to see it to the end. Why? Because I've been justified. Why? Because of the grace and mercy. Why? Because I've been forgiven of all these things. I don't deserve it. Why? Because in trials and tribulations, I endure and look to Him. And what does that do? That produces a godly character. And what does that do? Produces, it increases, it reassures, it gives us that hope, that assurance. We must see that tribulation 
that testing, that endurance under, right, under them proves the genuineness of our faith. Proves the genuineness of our faith. And approved faithfulness strengthens hope. I've used this um, illustration before, and, and trust me, I didn't make it up. It's been used by pastors for a long, long time. Um, but basically, as we have these tests, these trials and these tribulations, it's ultimately to test the purity of our salvation and the Christian character. It's to expose the impurities or the lack thereof, right? Think of the refiner's fire, okay? Always think of precious metals and how they are refined. They're taken as a solid and put into very, very high heat. And as they're melted down, the impurities rise to the top and they scrape off those impurities, making it more pure, right? Like gold, it's like going from 12 karat gold to 24 karat gold. Taking out the impurities. See, here's the thing. As we go through stuff and we ignore it or we try to do it on our own or we don't want to deal with it, God can't help scrape away those impurities. And we are no better off. We must see that these these testing, that these trials, these tribulations is shaping and molding ultimately to help determine the purity of our faith, uh, of our character, is to, 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 to ultimately be more like Jesus, right? Turn me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We will go through stuff. God allows things to happen. Not ultimately being the one to to cause them per se, but he allows them and we are to hold fast. Hold up under, right? Look to him. If you keep reading here in James, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom... There is no variation or shadow due to change. We can see 
that we are tested, right? And it comes in different forms. That's your homework. Figure out what parable, teaching of Jesus himself, am I referring to? There are things that continue to take place in our lives, whether it is a confirming of our faith or a what? A sanctifying of our faith, a shaping and molding of our faith, ultimately building up our character and our hope, right? Which is leading us to verse 5 of Romans Chapter 5, so as we see this character produce hope in verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, okay? El paeus, el paeus, okay? Hope to look forward with confidence, a desire of something good with the expectation of obtaining it. Hope in our salvation in Jesus Christ, okay? Right? Confidence in our salvation in Jesus Christ, right? Confidence and expectation of obtaining, right, our salvation in Jesus Christ. Hope in making it through our suffering. Hope in making it through our suffering. Confidence that we will make it through our suffering. Confidence that we will make it through our suffering. Okay? Desire, desire that we will make it, that you will make it through your sufferings. Understand hope that is used here in the New Testament. The hope of our salvation will never be put to shame. We will never be, what, disappointed. Why? Because as we looked at um, a reference in Philippians chapter 1, that he will see that good work come to completion. And we are saved because of our love of God has been, what, poured out into our hearts. Our hope will not be will not put us to shame. We've been cleansed, and the blood of Christ has been poured into our hearts. We have a new heart. We are a new creation. We are a new being. We are now alive in Christ. We are no longer dead in our trespasses. This is the hope that we have. God's love for us at the moment we believed, ultimately should and does flood our hearts. Now, this can be hard to fully comprehend or to, for us, some of us, hard to, to see. It's like, okay, at point of salvation, God's love is is ultimately poured into our hearts, right? This eternal love, okay? 
It's like, okay, so if that's my heart now, then why do I struggle with this or that or, or joy or, or these sins? Because this is talking about eternal things. We still got to deal with this fallen world in this fallen flesh. We have to understand that. It's not a magical wand at the point of salvation that's waved above, uh, above us and, and we are completely void of struggle, of sin, of any of these things. We know, those that have been Christian for more than a minute know that there are going to be struggles. There's going to be doubts. There's going to be times we make bad choices. There's going to be times where we have trials and tribulations and we don't respond in a healthy, biblical way. But we have to see, as Paul here moves from the, uh, the, these objective aspects of, of our security, right, in Christ to, to internal ones, right? And we see that internal aspect of things through what? As he's mentioned, through the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit enters our life and as in a response, okay, to our faith, ultimately is at work within us, um, helping us grasp these concepts, these realities, okay? But we need to see, and we're going to see in our, the next passage we're going to look at, that there are things that are that are here, that are temporary, and then there are things that are eternal, that are forever. And this is what this is to reassure us of. Yeah, but, but I, I don't this and I don't, it's like, it's okay, keep working on it, but know that that's temporary. And how you work on that and how you address that and how you endure and look to me ultimately affects what? The eternal. Things that are forever. So don't be discouraged by the things that are temporary. Use them, right, as something to what? Build endurance, to form your character, increasing what? Your hope. We have to understand that this reality of what it means to be engulfed by the love of God. And it's, it looks different for everyone. Not only because everyone's different, but also we're in different places on our spiritual journey. And that looks different from person to person. And a lot of their character before Christ is still there and plays a role into their lives after their conversion and coming to Christ. Turn me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Starting with verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, 
according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Wow. We can see the sealing, the guarantee, the promise, okay? And a lot of times, the trials and tribulations, the testing that we go through, it's not because God does not know, it's because we don't know. So many Christians out there believe that, oh, I'm saved because I raised my hand, I said a prayer, I walked down an aisle, now I can go live the way that I want to live, and they believe a false hope, and when trials and tribulations come, they don't endure, they don't look to God, and they ultimately... There's nothing to be approved. They're disapproved. And God's saying, hey, look, you're not really saved. You're not really a Christian. And what we've done today is there's no longer absolute truth. There's what you believe and I believe, and everything what you believe and I believe and anybody else believes is okay. Makes absolutely no sense when you, come, when you put it up to the test, which is God's Word. And we began to allow this to seep into the churches across not only America, but we see all over the world. So many um, pastors that I listen to and look up to, they're now preaching about these things and how they're seeping into the church. That the ways of the world and, and the ways of the culture are constantly gripping and taking hold of society and seeping into the church. And those that have been aware of this have been seeing it for many years. It's something I've preached on many, many times. But what we need to be assured of is one is our faith, and that as we are assured of our faith, we know that we are going to have trials and tribulations, and we're going to have bad days, and God calls us to what? To have joy in these. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is building up our endurance. Why? Because it helps our character in Him and through Him. Why? Because on the other end, as we endure and look to Him and we come out the other end, we can look and say, wow, and our hope is increased in Him. So how do you see your sufferings? How do you see them? How do you see your trials? How do you see your bad days, your hard days? How do you see them? Do you see them as bad luck, something unfortunate? Or do you see them as God shaping and molding you to be more like Jesus Christ? How do you see them? Man, we need to have a different perspective of this all together. We're going to close with this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
you're so in Ephesians, just go a little bit to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. Chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Wow. Verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, pay attention, so that our our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're fleeting, right? But the things that are unseen are eternal. They are forever. Wow. We must truly see and understand that when we go through hard times, whether it's a self-inflicted wound, and what I mean by that, it's based on this bad thing's happening because of a bad decision I made. God's still trying to teach you. God's still trying to shape and mold you. God's still trying to build up endurance within you in those moments. But do you have joy? Do you have joy? Whether you're here this morning and you, you know, Pastor Raph, I, I don't have joy. I haven't had joy in a while. Or maybe you, you're a joyous person by nature. But in times like this, it's hard for you to have joy. That's okay. It's, it's not that you're a bad person. It's not that you don't have necessarily, you, you're, you're not saved. That, that's not what those mean. It just means that we need to look to Christ more. We need to be what? Pushed, spurred onto. We need maybe we need someone to drive their heels into us to make us uncomfortable. So we can learn how to truly what? Hold up under and look to God. So then our character can be built up to be more like Christ. And not built up on emotion and circumstance. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us in our time together this morning. As you continue to lead us through Romans, we can't help but praise you for, this, for these blessings, Lord. Just being able to have your word and to, to freely gather and meet and, and to hear your word such an honor and a blessing.
May we never take that for granted. Lord, I ask that you would continue to do a mighty work in each and every one of us and to do a mighty work in our church that we would see, that we would learn, that we would endure to look to you in all things and to find joy in our salvation in all things. Thank you for loving us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.